And I'm Bailey. I'm Drew. And I'm Lacey. And, and we're, we're sarcastic, sarcastic, so let's get sinister. Are we the star of the show? That's true. Lacey is the star of the show. Okay. Do we have any important things to add, or can, do we want to just jump right in? Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> this is our first video. Yeah. Very exciting. We're going to see how it goes. This is also a very exciting case. This is our first two-parter. Exciting. Possibly that three, means depending if, on how long it's going to be. If this is our two-parter, that means that it's going to be coming out on our new schedule. Yeah. Tuesdays yeah. and Fridays. Yeah. I got kind of obsessed with this case. So I could tell you read a book. <laughs> yeah, I did. Which I have to remember to cite for, but. So I'm hoping it's two parts. Like, Maybe three. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. It's kind of a very long story. So today. Come a little bit closer, you might come again. There you go. Not too close. Because I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Jesus Christ. Okay. We're going to talk about, or I'm going to talk about the murder of Marilyn Shepard. This is a trigger warning. It does involve rape and... Um, some disturbing thoughts. If anyone's like me and likes to look on like photos online, like just to see what like people look like, there are crime scene photos on Google, so be warned. Um, and some of them are not blurred. Our story begins. Luckily, it's already. We're there. gonna start on July third. What year? Uh, nineteen fifty-four. Okay. In Bay Village, Illinois, which was a suburb outside of Chicago. Dr. Sam and his wife, Marilyn Shepard, had dinner plans with their friends and neighbors, Don and Nancy and Hearns. They start. I think I know this one. You may have. I went into a little bit more detail than they did. Okay. That would be why it sounds familiar. Yeah. Dr. Sam sounds yeah. very familiar. Yeah. Isn't... It's a very publicized case, too, or it was, so it's also why. Isn't Dr. Sam a new girl character? Yep, because that's what I thought of when I heard you. Yeah. He, um, they, they started, uh, hooking up in the show when Jess was, like, pretending to be, like, Katie. Yeah, he was, yeah. like, a blind date type thing, Tinder. Anyway, not the same Dr. Sam. Mm-hmm. So, 1950s, as always, as chic as they could be, they started their evening, at the Ahern's house with cocktails before dinner. The men drinking martinis while the ladies drinking whiskey sours. While the children played outside. They have kids? So Sam and Marilyn had one kid and the their friends had two kids. Okay. They left. They then left that house and had dinner at the Shaggy house. The couples enjoyed dinner on the screened porch facing Lake Erie. Well, the kids ate dinner in the kitchen. It's very picturesque. So they went to their friend's house for cocktails. Yeah, and then went back to the shepherd's house to have dinner. Huh. Yeah. 
That's a lot of extra steps when you just yeah. Well, their neighbors, their neighbors, they lived like real close together. Okay, so that might be a thing that we did if we all lived like. Still, though, I feel like we would just have drinks at one spot. Seems like a lot of effort. It was a different time. Anyway, they finished dinner around ten thirty p.m. Nancy, the other wife, helped Marilyn clean up and closed the porch and locked that door. At this time. Don, the other husband, took their two kids home for bed and came back to watch a movie with Marilyn and Sam. Bay Village was the perfect suburb. Um, Many parents felt comfortable leaving sleeping kids home alone for a few hours. So that's why they were like, let's put the kids to bed and come back to see a movie. Something that we would never do now. Uh, at that point, Maryland put their seven-year-old son, Chip, to sleep as well. The couples watched the movie Strange Holiday on one of the two available TV channels. Maryland sat on Sam's lap for some of the movie, causing Nancy to tell Don, I need attention too. After a while, Sam moved to the daybed in the living room and fell asleep after a long day at work. I remember this, like, more, like, they seemed, like, really in love. And so that's why it was hard to believe. I like that you dove so much into this because you're really painting the picture for us. Thank you. It's very detailed. Thank you. I did. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so Sam fell asleep on the daybed while the rest of the adults finished the movie. Shortly after midnight, the Edherns left. All was quiet and peaceful until Sam was awoken by the screams of Maryland. Before we dig deeper into that, we're going to go into the background of Maryland and Sam. Yes. Just wanted to. Hook and grab, you guys. I'm hooked. Thanks. Okay, so Marilyn Reese was born April 14th, 1923. She was the firstborn child of Dorothy Blake and Thomas S. Reese. Marilyn lost her mom when she was just six. Her mom had a difficult labor with her second child, which was a son, and they both lost their lives. With the grief too much, Marilyn went to live with her aunt and uncle because her dad couldn't handle her at at that point. He was too grief-stricken? Yeah. Until he remarried, and that's when he took back over her care. What? Do we know how long? Uh, I think it was at least a few years. I was just more curious how long it took him to remarry. I think it was a few years. Hmm. On the other side, Samuel H. Shepard was born December 23rd, 1923, to Ethel and Dr. Richard Shepard. He was one of three boys and was the youngest. Also, Dr. Richard. Yes, his dad was a doctor as well. Interesting. Did you say Dr. Dick? Sure did. Okay. Wow. Unless his name is Richard. Yeah, I get it. It's not rude if it's his name. Hmm. And he's dead, so. I didn't say dead Dr. Dick. Dr. Dead Dick? Alliteration. Okay. Dead Dick Doctor. (laughs) Wow. I like that one. It's amazing how like word order can change. Yeah, what did he? What kind of doctor was he? What did he specialize in? They were were a uh, he was an osteopathic. Oh, doctor. Yeah, it was. I think he like specialized in like the spine or something. Mm. So during a junior high basketball practice, Maryland first saw Sam. One of his teammates told him about a real cute girl who wanted to meet him and then dragged him by the arm to the gym balcony to meet her. 
Sam would say later that there was some kidding and embarrassing looks on both my and Marilyn's face. I went to practice spurred on by the thought that this cute little girl may be around watching me. I don't like that he referred to her as a cute little girl. They were in junior high. Yeah, still. It sounds creepy. Am I alone? I just pictured her as being petite when she said that. If she was actually like a 10 year old, it would like spur me on those cute little girls watching. Then I'd be freaked out. I just don't like that he's describing his love interest as a little girl. Yeah. I think it's, I think that's what I'm concerned, like that's off putting to me. Yeah. We're going to move on. Thank you. Sam thought she was beautiful. She had long, soft brown hair, clear skin, hazel eyes, and was trim and athletic. They soon began dating. In her senior year, Marilyn invited him to a barn dance, which is adorable. During this dance, they went for a private walk. Oh, yeah, they did. Um, oh, it's not like that. It's the, fif- it's the 50s. Actually, it's the 40s. They held hands uh, the whole time. Sam later described that night as Marilyn told him that she loved him for the first time. Aww. Uh, she was, <laughs> and he was the only one for her. No one had ever said that to me before, and I had never told a girl I loved her. He did manage to sputter out me, too. And then Marilyn dragged him back to the dance while she was wearing his high school fraternity pin. Oh. Hey, can we talk about how often this Sam fella is getting dragged places? Yeah. Like Mar- Marilyn knew, knew what she wanted. Yeah. Well, also, like, his, his friends dragged him to the to talk to Yeah. Maybe he should grow a backbone and stop getting dragged Put places. Down, Sam. Yeah. Too late now. How do you know it's too late? He's dead, right? Is he? Yeah, he's dead. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess it is too late. Okay. So after high school, Sam followed the family footsteps and attended Los Angeles College of Osteopathic Physicians and Surgeons. While in LA, he and Marilyn married on February 21st, 1945. Two years later, they welcomed their first child, Sam Reese Shepard, who they nicknamed Chip. Why? I think it's a cute nickname. I don't know where they got it. That depends on why they did it. When he was little, he fell and chipped a tooth and they stopped calling Chip. That's cute. I, well, I didn't find that in research. You're going to go that deep? In your three-parter episode, you can't tell us why Chip was called Chip. Um, after receiving his medical degree, Sam joined his family at Bayview Hospital, which was his father's own osteopathic facility. Um, he founded it. Over the next few years, Sam was working on his surgical residency and working emergency calls that took up a good amount of his evenings. Their house was on the shore of Lake Erie, and they even got an Irish setter named, uh, Keoke, Keoke, I think? How you spell it? K-O-K-E. K-O-K-E. Koki. Koki? Koki? I don't know. So, back to the morning of July 3rd, where our story began. Sam went into the hospital for some surgeries while Marilyn was readying the house and did doing some errands for the 4th of July party. Marilyn was a little annoyed with Sam for volunteering to hold the intern party without asking her first. Mm, she, she then had to clean, shop, spruce up the yard and the boathouse while watching their seven-year-old Chip and also being four months pregnant. Okay, so question. Yeah. Um, why did she have to spruce up the boathouse? Because 
they were right on the lake and Sam liked to water ski. So he would have like definitely taken the interns oh out there. Yeah. He was he was like that. So he like signed up. He said, Yeah, we'll have the party at my house. And then was like, get all this shit ready for this party that you didn't volunteer for. But he make did, sure like you, make sure my jet skis are uh, waxed and ready to go. Sure. I like to impress the interns. Like in the 40s. Bruh. What a time to be. I bet he said bruh. It's now the 50s. I imagine him saying bruh. I think. I like, 50s, I like to jet ski bruh. 50s equivalent. Bruh. Um, it was also noted that Maryland was also dealing with. Can you say Maryland? Maryland? Yeah, you're adding the D on there, Sorry. like Maryland. Yeah. Okay. Was dealing with Sam's old friend, Dr. Uh, Hoops. Wait, what happened? Say it again. I was thrown off by Maryland. She was also dealing with Sam's old friend, Dr. Hooverstein, who is staying over and was described as a bit of a pig. Oh, so she's getting ready for the party and they have a house guest that she has to deal with. And she's four months pregnant. Yeah, and she's four months pregnant and she's got a seven-year-old. So he had Um, made a crude pass at her and she shut him down fast. Good. He liked to think of himself as a playboy and would make sexual passes at any woman who strayed into his gaze. I was going to say, that's awfully bold of him to be hitting on the wife of an old friend whom he's staying with. Yeah. Interesting. Carry on. Okay. It was revealed over, like, the drinks later on that evening that Sam did not have a good day either. Uh, working in emergency, he dealt with a young boy who was hit by a truck, and his heart stopped. Sam had opened his chest and started massaging his heart. His heart kicked back to life, but then stopped again. It was said that Sam worked on the boy until his fingers gave out and another doctor took over. How old was the boy? They did say, but he was young. Probably Um, close in age to his kid. Yeah. The boy ended up dying, and then Sam absorbed the father's anger and grief, both normal signs after a death, only being able to tell him that he felt terrible and was sorry. He didn't hit him with a truck. Anyway. That's how I cope with stuff. I didn't do it. Cutting back to the beginning, they had dinner, they watched a movie, Sam fell asleep on the daybed, and then woke to Marilyn's screams. Before we get there, we're going to go a little ahead. Oh my goodness, you keep teasing us. So at 5.40am, the mayor of Bay Village, Spencer Hook, was awoken by a phone call from Sam. Sam said, my God, Spence, get over here quick. I think they've killed Maryland. Spencer and his wife, Esther, drove immediately over to their friend's home, so he, um, which was only a few doors down. I'm sorry. Oh, it was the friend they hung out with earlier that day? No, it was a different friend. Here, I'm sorry. I see where you're confused. He thinks that Maryland is dead, so he called the mayor, who is his friend. Okay. I know that you're like, Police. No. Yeah, that's what... Mayor. Because you were talking about the mayor, and then you said it was Sam calling in my head. I immediately was like... No, different friends. You're supposed to call the police. I see where you got confused there. Yes, thank you. Sam called the mayor first. He was also their friend. He doesn't need an ambulance. So they came over immediately, because they were also... They were like two houses down. Mm -hmm. They went through the unlocked kitchen door, finding Sam shirtless in the den, leaning back in a swivel chair, holding his neck... His pants were soaked, and he was moaning softly. 
Esther went upstairs to the bedroom. She noticed desk drawers had been pulled out and the contents of Sam's medical bag was all over the floor in the hallway. In the bedroom, she had found a blood bath. Blood was all over the floor, walls, and all over Marilyn's bed. She checked Marilyn's pulse at that time and then called down for the police to be called. She then moved to check to Chip, who was sleeping in the next room, and he was still fast asleep and curled up. Spencer, the mayor downstairs, calls the police and then also calls Richard Shepard, one of Sam's older brothers. Richard arrived and went to see if he could help Marilyn immediately, but he was only able to confirm that she was already dead. He did note that she was still slightly warm. I'm loving all these people coming to contaminate the scene. Yeah. Richard had taken sleeping Chip to his house to avoid the chaos and everything. Around 6 a.m. Around around 6 a.m., the patrolman finally arrived, who was also a friend of the family. Sure. Um, He was 26 and only had three years of experience on the force. His name was Fred Draken, I think. Sounds good to me. Sam tells him what happened overnight. Sam was fast asleep downstairs on the daybed when he woke to Marilyn shouting Sam. He ran up the dimly lit stairs to their bedroom where he saw a white, bushy-haired form standing next to his wife's bed. He was hit on the back of his neck and lost consciousness. When he came to, he tried to find Marilyn's pulse, but determined that she was already dead. He then quickly went to Chip's room to check to see if he was okay, finding his son sleeping and unharmed. He went back downstairs and happened upon the form again. This time, it was running out the back door, leading to the lake shore. Their property had stairs right to the lake, so that's, yeah. For jet skiing. Yeah. Sam chased it down the stairs of the shore and described a second fight as, I felt myself twisting and choking, and this terminated by consciousness. Sam came to, wet and somehow missing his t-shirt, and watch. When the dawn was breaking, he returned home and checked his wife once more, and then called his mayor. mayor friend. Yeah. So just to like quick recap, he said he was like attacked twice. Yes. Once when he got to the room, and then when he ran out. Yes. Yes. And lost consciousness twice. Yeah. And the so in his story, he heard Marilyn screaming. He found a bushy-haired man standing over her form. Yeah, but in his scenario, yeah. man. Then a different man hit him on the back of the neck. He lost consciousness. He regained consciousness. Checked Marilyn's pulse. There was none. Checked Chip. Chip was sleeping. So then he went downstairs and saw the one man exiting the house through the back door. He chased him. Then he started getting strangled. He that... described it as twisting and choking, and then so like a was like hit again. Yeah, I guess. Okay, and then he woke up after, and the assailants who had murdered his wife. Took his shirt and his watch. And his pants were wet. Well, I was from the water. Yeah. So in his story, I know he told Spence in the call that they've killed Maryland. In his story, he only mentioned one form, like one person. Someone hit him on the back of the head. Yeah, he he that was the form. The bushy haired man hit him? Yeah. How? You walk into a room, you see somebody standing over your wife, so you turn around. And let leave. We're gonna dive deeper in that. All right. She does have a lot of information for us. We know. I know, Um, but I'm just. 
so the next part is going to get a little graphic. It's going to explain what happened, how Marilyn's body was found. Okay. Um, so the patrolman searched the home and then went upstairs, finding Marilyn's body lying face up on her bed. Her face was turned towards the door. Her pajama top was pulled up, exposing her breasts. Her pajama bottoms had been removed from one leg, leaving her pubis, pubis exposed. Her legs had been pulled underneath the wooden bar at the foot of her bed, pinning her. Oh. Um, her face was all but unrecognizable. Over 20 curved gashes cut deeply into her face and scalp. Blood outlined her body and stained the bed. The rest of the home, he found the medical bag standing on end in the hallway, its contents spilled out, a high school track trophy of Sam's and a bowling trophy of Marilyn's laid scratched and broken on the floor in the den. Drawers of Sam's desk were opened, but all in oddly even ways and nothing appeared missing. So they were all like, kind of like uniformly pulled out. Okay. At this point, he called the Cleveland Police Department for help. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm looking at a picture of her legs. Yeah, she. I thought it was just like ankles, but no, it's like no, it's, thighs. it's like her thighs were pulled under okay. that, like yeah. Right. So, oh, under like that. Okay. Yeah. Immediately, obviously, the scene in the house were no way secured and were free for all. Just to give you further indication of all that, Sam's brothers, neighbors, police, even press members walked freely through the home and into the murder scene. One of Sam's neighbors was Otto Graham, who was uh, actually the Cleveland Browns quarterback at the time, was able to walk through and describe Marilyn's death scene. He was a doctor. And also, how did they know it was a crime scene? My first, my first. Because looking at her, when I did the Sims family, same thing happened. Not there's like no adult suspects left behind, but like everybody was. Yeah, everyone just chased. I feel like it's a pretty common thing where like like especially ones that we do when they're unsolved, it's because people contaminated the scene because people are stunads. So when Sam's other brother Steve arrived with his wife Betty. They found Sam lying still, flat on the floor downstairs. At first thought, Betty thought that Sam was the murder victim, and then Steve went over and found him alive, but cold and unable to stop shivering. Steve determined that he was going into shock and thought that he had fractured his neck. Sam's brothers at that point insisted on taking him to the hospital to get looked at. The Bay Village chief and two officers let them leave without a problem, which hindsight maybe they should have been escorted or at least like had an officer with him because he's like a witness and also like the suspect's spouse yeah or the victim's spouse yeah so kind of someone i mean like devil's advocate someone attacked his wife and him they might come back to finish the job or he might go and get his story straight with his brothers yeah so at the hospital It was noted that the right side of his face and eye socket were swollen and bruised. There was a light film of blood coating his teeth, and two of them were slightly chipped. The skin on his feet were wrinkled, and getting his temperature was too low to read, meaning he was hypothermic. He was in shock and getting frantic, constantly, like, repeatedly asking about, like, if Chip was okay. 
Um, at that point, Steve, his brother, had ordered Demerol for a sedative to help calm him down. Initially, Chief Eden and the officers thought a drug addict had broken in the house to steal narcotics because of the bag. Mm-hmm. They also knew Sam personally and couldn't imagine him doing anything at, like, such a brutal crime. Mm-hmm. 8 a.m. arrives, and the county coroner, Sam Gerber, arrives on scene. Mm-hmm. Gerber. We don't like him. I don't. His name is Sam. Just like Dr. Sam. <laughs> and also Gerber. What? The original Gerber basin. Immediately, he was pissed about the amount of people that were able to walk through the crime scene. I mean, so far, I like him. Yeah. And ordered the police to clear the house. Sam Gerber seems reasonable. He grew very suspicious of Sam after hearing his story. Yeah, why don't we like him? He seems like he's good. Yeah. Hold on, you'll figure it out. (laughs) So, there was no forced entry scene. Sam's story did not make sense. The desk drawers were all neatly pulled out, not like a burglar. Burglar. Drug addict. Yeah. There was no murder weapon found. And there was a trail going from the bedroom downstairs and then to the which they thought was like dripping from the murder weapon. Oh, blood trail. Yeah. What did they? Oh, there were slashes. Okay, so knife. Or sharp instrument. We're gonna see, but I I don't know. I didn't. I was gonna ask. Did we determine murder weapon yet? No, no. Okay. He saw blood smears on the door jam and knob plate on the door that led to the screen porch. What is a knob plate? It's the like. I mean, I would assume it's like the like actual like metal coating like on the door, like that holds the knob. The lie. If that makes sense. I got you. Gerber then went to see Shepard at the hospital where he collected his clothes. There was waterlogged shoes, his belt, boxer shorts, and his pants. There was no blood anywhere on his clothes besides a large stain on his left knee. Everywhere else was clean. Well, because he'd lost his shirt. I was going to say that. Back at the crime scene, Detective Grabowski? Grabowski. I think so. Um, he was a Cleveland detective, arrived to take photos and analyze the scene. He noticed the door ha- that led to the screen porch was unlocked and showed no pry marks. The doorknob and jam were laying in fingerprints and a mess of smudges and overlays. He photographed the scene, starting at the beach, where he found two different set- sets of footprints, noting one was barefoot. He spent as little as 30 minutes looking in- for fingerprints, since Gerber had already told him he believed Sam was the prime suspect. So the reason we don't like Gerber is, as you see, he instantly thinks of Sam as the suspect, and he did it. And I mean, I think that he's got good reason. His story That's is understandable, but suspicious. because of this, like, initial thought, things were cut short, and, like... We he got didn't... tunnel vision? Yeah. Okay, so he wasn't... He came. He jumped to a conclusion and then yeah. stuck to his conclusion. There was also prior history with Gerber and him disliking the Shepherds. Is it because they both had the same name? No. He said this town's Tell only big enough for right. one Sam. Sam, um, so that he could be the only him. Sam mm-hmm. in town. So Grabowski, I think that's how you say his name. What's his first name? Michael. Let's call him Michael. Okay. Michael dusted 
only an open window in the murder room, saying later he didn't want to contaminate the blood spatter or physical evidence. He ignored the banister along the steps. He did not check countertops, doorknobs, chairs, the radio, the TV, the kitchen, the basement. This caused Gerber and the prosecution to assume the house was wiped of prints. However, he found fingerprints, but they were all layered and smudged. So there was a miscommunication. They led to think that, oh, the murder scene was, like, wiped clean, when in actuality it was just hard to decipher the prints. There were, it wasn't wiped clean. There was just too many prints. Yeah. Michael got pulled away to another assignment after only spending two hours in the house. Later, his report only contained three sentences and 13 photos. Feels like not enough. No. After canvassing outside, they found a canvas bag outside in a bush. Inside was Shepard's bloodstained watch, stopped at 4.15 a.m. A keychain holding keys, a class ring, and a fraternity charm. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but I feel like if he wanted to get rid of his shirt that was bloodstained with Marilyn's blood, um, that would make him look more suspicious. He could claim it was, like, robbery if he also had his watch stolen. They haven't found his shirt. I don't know what you're meaning by that. I'm saying if Sam did it mm-hmm. and his shirt was covered in blood, it would seem reasonable to me that he would get rid of his shirt to hide the fact, but then be like, well, I have to come up with an explanation as to why my shirt is missing. I'll just say that I was robbed. But they also took the watch. Yeah, no one's going to just take my shirt and leave my very expensive watch. I'll get rid of my watch too. So that it'll seem like they took my watch and, for shits and giggles, my shirt. shirt. Okay. And then they found the watch because he didn't, it wasn't a robbery. Carry on. Thank you for being on the same page as me. When moving Marilyn's body, they found two teeth fragments on the bed sheets. But Gerber couldn't appreciate any broken teeth in her mouth, which is interesting considering... Sam. An autopsy, which I'll go over. But Sam chipped his teeth. Marilyn's teeth were chipped worse. Oh. Um, Why is everybody chipping their teeth? Well, I will explain. It's because the 50s, they didn't have dentistry. They just walk out of their teeth chipping. Everything would just chip your teeth. Dentistry in the 50s. They were just, Teeth were just so brittle. Yeah. Like bones. Brittle bones. So Gerber got back to the house where he met two Cleveland homicide detectives. Can you help me pronounce them? Shopkey or Shopkin? Guru. Shopkin, Guru. Guru. Guru, Guru. I think it's Guru. Guru. Shopkey and Guru. Yeah, feels right. Um, They agreed it looked like someone had staged the burglary. Burglary. It's a hard word to say. Burglary. With the drawers um, to the desk being pulled out uniformly. At this time, it was overheard that Gerber said to the detectives, it's obvious that the doctor did it. Oh, when you said it's obvious that the doctor did it, my first thought was Sam Gerber. And I was like, they are blaming the coroner. But then I was like, oh, yeah, Sam Shepard's a doctor. Yeah. So the two detectives went to the hospital to question Sam. He repeated his story, not changing anything. During the ending of this questioning, the one detective directly accused him, saying, I don't know about my partner, but I think you killed your wife. At which time, Sam responded, I love Marilyn. So let's put all the cards on the table. Yeah. Right out. 
Finally, the house was sealed for the investigation. So, knowing what we know, there's immediately a few questions that come up. Sure. First off, why didn't Chip wake up? He was right next door to Marilyn. Yeah. Obviously, she screamed for Sam. It was noted that he was a very sound sleeper, like his father. In the book I read. But Sam woke up to the screams. Yeah, and Sam was downstairs, right? Yeah. Yeah. But so... In the book I read, it noted one instance when he was sleeping at the mayor's house because they were friends. And the shepherd house actually caught fire. And Chip slept through all of the commotion and the sirens. And there were people that were, like, coming in and out of the mayor's house getting, like, Chip and stuff. Another question to immediately take note of is why didn't the dog alert or bark? Because it was Sam! So... Sam was questioned about this. Sam responded that she was not the barking kind. Mm. And their maid, who cleaned the house once a week, had even added that she did bark at strangers, but not people she recognized. Like her owner. What? Nothing. (laughs) And then it goes into, like, if Sam's injuries were real, which Sam got checked out by multiple different doctors. In the beginning, Gerber didn't believe that Sam's injuries had been real and a Dr. Hexler at Bay Village thought that there was no other like outward injury besides the swelling in his right eye or cheek. He did note that he was missing reflexes on his left side but didn't give a lot of weight to that finding. It wasn't until a few days like after the murder that another doctor looked at Sam who was a clinician in neurosurgery and actually chief of neurosurgery at the Cleveland City Hospital finding that Sam had a cerebral concussion and a spinal cord injury that robbed him of reflexes on one side. He did a few tests to, like, test his reflexes, feeling uh, for, like, the reflex in his inner thigh when he failed to get a muscle contraction. He did a response where he stroked Sam's left abdomen and still got no reflex. He even pressed Sam's neck at the second cervical vertebrae, and the neck muscles went into spasms, which is something that cannot be faked. So now we're going to jump into the autopsy. Let's jump. All right. So Marilyn's autopsy was performed by a Dr. Adelson. Adelson. Immediately, there were multiple impacts to the head and face. I thought Gerber was the coroner. He is a coroner, but Adelson was the pathologist, and he performed the autopsy. So, was Gerber, like, the elected person? Yeah. Yeah. He was an elected official. And he didn't like shepherds. No. He was, it was very well known that he didn't like the shepherds. So, he wasn't actually a doctor. Who? Gerber. No, he was a doctor. He was just elected as the coroner. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. He was both. No, I'm saying, well, because sometimes there there are doctors who are coroners, and then they can perform autopsies. But, like, in my county, our coroner is an elected official, and he can't do autopsies. Mm. He has to send the bodies to the Capitol. I think it's the closest spot. That's probably, like, the same here. Yeah. I I just thought that if he was a doctor, he probably could have done the autopsy himself, but... If he didn't have the resources available or if that wasn't his specialty, I suppose. Carry on. Okay. So there were multiple impacts to the head and the face. There were fractures of the skull and the separation of the frontal suture, bilateral septoral hemorrhages, 
Diffuse bilateral subarachnoid hemorrhages. Hemorrhages. I know. Contusions of the brain. Multiple lacerations of the forehead and scalp. Fractures of the upper medial incisor teeth. Two of her upper medial incisors were snapped off. One was even snapped below the gum line. Oh, that made my face hurt. Yeah, and a fractured nose. Her skull was fractured with 15 blows, but none of the strikes were powerful enough to push the bone into the dura, which the dura matter is the toughest outermost membrane that envelops the brain. So they're the like... use of the word envelops. Thank you. So it's, they labeled them like kind of like medium impact blows. Sounds like somebody did not like her. There were multiple abrasions and contusions. Someone was in a fit of rage because his wife wouldn't stop nagging him about the party and the jet skis. Partial convulsion of the fourth left fingernail. Convulsion? Convulsion? Yeah, I was just making sure. Yes. Yeah. What does that mean? Was it like ripped off? Yeah, Yeah. partially. Oh. 15 crescent-shaped lacerations on the forehead and scalp, measuring one inch long and half an inch wide, some shallow, others deep but exposing bone. They found that she was four months pregnant with the fetus being male. Being male, not a boy? Yeah. She had black eyes. Her eyelids were bruised, blue and swollen shut. Her lungs and windpipe were congested with blood, but no blood was found in her stomach, meaning she was already unconscious and unable to swallow when the blows were landed. The hemorrhages in her brain showed that her heart was still pumping when she was struck. It was obvious she fought her attacker. Her two front teeth were knocked out, and she had an injured hand and at least four blows to the left hand and wrist. There was also a quarter-sized bruise on her left shoulder, and her right finger was broken. Or one of her right fingers were broken. There was a total of about 35 wounds, and the cause of death was ruled a bludgeoning. Adelson wasn't at the crime scene, and he had no knowledge of that this could have been, like, a sex crime, being with how she was found, with her clothes all disturbed. He never looked closely into the vagina for tearing or bruising, but he did make a swab of a white substance, and would only find epithelial cells and bacteria under the microscope, but no sperm cells. Do we know where he found that substance? I think on the outside of the vagina. Okay. That would make sense, since that's the context that we're talking. Yeah. Time of death was determined to be between 4.30 and 4.45 a.m. He relied on rigor mortis and the stubborn contents for this. The autopsy was performed... About 12.30 p.m. when he determined rigor to be complete. At room temp, the body usually completes rigor between six to eight hours after death, which from that estimation puts her time of death between 4.30 and 6.30 a.m. Being with the fact that the police were already on scene at 6 a.m., we're leaning more towards that 4.30. But after looking through her stomach, it was found to be empty which it takes about five to seven hours for the body to digest a large meal. And going back to the dinner, they had it started around like 9.30 and finished at 10.30. This would place her death between somewhere between like 3.30 and 5.30 a.m., okay. which with all those numbers, 
Adelson estimated her death around 4.30 and 4.45. What time did Richard arrive on scene and check her and determine she was still warm? 6 a.m. Okay. And Sam called the mayor at 5.40 a.m. Okay. But Gerber, wanting to make Sam's story seem even more improbable, told the press that her time of death was closer to 3 a.m. Giving him a lot oh, more so. time before the call would have been made. He's being... Yeah. Okay. An important mistake to note in the autopsy was that the pathologist washed blood from the wounds of her face before examining the wounds and, like, the... Conge- the uh, Congealed? Yeah, blood... Seeing if there was any evidence left from the murder weapon, like fibers, paint, or splinters. This would come back to bite him in the butt. I mean, you don't need that stuff. So, Mary Cohen was a forensic technician who examined the evidence. There were tiny red man-made fibers under Marilyn's fingernails that were compared to Sam's clothes and came back negative. But we don't have his shirt. They were also compared to the carpet in the home and Marilyn's clothes that she wore that night, and there was no match found. Sam's clothes, when she examined them, no blood was found except on that left knee. It was a six by eight inch stain on his, around his left knee. It was dark in the center and about three inches in diameter, and the rest was uniformly lighter, appearing Sam kneeled in blood. In the steps of the kitchen to the cellar, Cohen uh, found nine drops of blood, clearly a trail, but it was impossible to say how long they were stained and if it was relevant to the murder. Sam had no wounds on himself, um, so he wasn't bleeding, so the blood trail to the basement and anywhere else in the house couldn't have been him. So be the murder weapon he was carrying. And reiterating the blood trail going down the stairs from the bedroom to the first floor. They believed it was uh, blood dripping from the murder weapon. The police did find a torn white male's t-shirt a few yards from the property. It matched the size and brand of the t-shirt taken for a comparison from Sam's dresser. It was torn from neck to waist along the left seam. Sand was embedded in the fabric, and there were several orange stains. Cohen tested the four stains for blood, but none was found. So that's, like, the evidence in the autopsy so far. Can I ask a question? Yeah. The house guest that was staying with him, the creepy one who hit on her? Yeah. Was he still there? So he was actually away that day. He has, um, even though he's creepy and made her uncomfortable and could be looked at as a suspect... He was at someone else's house, staying over, preparing to play golf or something, I think. July 7th. on more wives. Yeah. July 7th, about 250 friends and family gathered for Marilyn's funeral. Chip did not attend because of the extensive press coverage and the thought that it would be too much for him. Understandable. Sam did hold the pansies Chip picked for his mother and placed them inside her casket. Aww. It's important to note the extensive press coverage in this case. It's going to weigh heavily on the trial. At first, they were sympathetic to Sam, suggesting that drug thieves were suspected for the murder. However, that quickly changed as facts and rumors emerged and mixed. 
The Cleveland press became very aggressive towards Sam. The paper criticized the speed of the investigation. They attacked Sam for declining a polygraph, which he came out saying that he declined it, saying the tests were unreliable, Mm -hmm. and he was too emotional for the test. Yeah. Yeah. They're not even admissible in court anymore, are they? No. No. And emotions. He's under a lot of stress. That would automatically raise. He also had like a neck injury. It's yeah. I it's it was a smart call. Yeah. He would have been immediately found guilty, and like that would be the end. Side note: This is during the 1950s, and it's important to realize that this is also during the Red Scare, when like communism periods. and McCarthyism was happening. Ah, not the- periods. <laughs> During, during this time, the public was more willing to assume a suspect's guilt based on accusation from authorities, especially if the accused refused to cooperate. The accused refused. Not taking a polygraph test. Refusing to cooperate. Back then, I think like, they also yeah. held a lot more weight in the polygraphs. Yeah. 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 And he being a educated doctor who understood probably what the polygraph measured and then understood how his body's pathology would be he would under he would know that yeah. it wouldn't look good for him if it would be unreliable yeah. and it would probably be a false negative or indicate negative or you know indicate yeah. lying even if he wasn't carry on which it's important to note that sam did cooperate he was questioned multiple times always saying the same story it did look bad when he hired a lawyer but that was just to protect him I think that's also propaganda as well. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, you don't need a lawyer if you're not guilty. Nobody knows the law better than a lawyer. So on July 10th, Sam voluntarily appeared for questioning. At this point, the police were looking for motive. They theorized that what if Marilyn was having an affair and the baby wasn't Sam's? Neighbors reported that she had said that Sam was actually sterile from being near x-ray equipment too much. However, the fetus was tested and indeed Sam's. It also came out at this point, Sam's voracious appetite for affairs. Oh, Sam. He had had many previous affairs and the police believe the doctor might have killed his wife if she didn't want a divorce and he wanted to be with someone else. From the beginning, Sam denied any affairs and his story of the murder continued to stay consistent. So was that rumors that he had affairs, or did he actually have affairs? He just didn't have one. He actually had affairs. Okay, sure. Side note: since we're talking about it, if the idea that like maybe he killed her because he wanted a divorce and she didn't, why would you not want a divorced person who keeps having affairs? Like, she loved him. I know there's people out there that are like that. Yeah, she loved him. Like, why would you keep subjecting? It's also the '50s. It was a very different time. I don't that's, think that's that she did. Would her lifestyle change? Probably. She, she also... I forgot we were in the 50s. She might not have even been allowed to have, like, a checking account on her own. She also was pregnant with, like, his second kid. child, so she'd never really be, like, yeah. rid of him. If it, if it were 2023, 20, if we were modern times... It would be, it'd be way be different. Fair for me to be like, why would you think that? So, the main... The book I read for a lot of this information that dug really deep is called The Wrong Man by James Niff. He dives deep into the affairs and Sam and Marilyn's relationship. It's unfortunate that the prosecution, once they got a hold of the affairs, they really stuck with that and, like, were coming after Sam for it. 
So did they ever really investigate any other suspects? Not really. Pretty much, going back to their marriage, pretty much the summary is that they had a rocky marriage due to the fact that Sam enjoyed sex and wanted more of it, but Marilyn had had a difficult pregnancy with Chip and was believed to be afraid of labor from her mother's own experience. Fair. Um, so she lost interest in sex. Yeah. But they were determined to work through their problems and they both loved each other. Through the book, it shows like all the different times Sam had affairs. Marilyn and him talked through it. He came back to her. Oh my God. He's such a saint for coming back to her. So, July 21st, the Cleveland Press, which was one of the more aggressive uh, newspapers during this uh, investigation, ran in all caps, Why No Inquest? Do It Now, Dr. Gerber. On their front page. What inquest? A coroner's inquest. For what? Did they think that they got her cause of death wrong? They just wanted somebody else to look at it? I think so. Oh, I think they weren't happy with the like speed of the investigation. And it wasn't really going anywhere. Like Sam wasn't confessing. And they really didn't have anywhere else to look. So they were just going to be like shrug? I guess. Gerber, not liking to be challenged, scheduled a coroner's inquest the next day. Bay Village School Gym was packed with crowds, newspaper reporters, radio, and TV crews. Sam was still needing to wear a neck brace and wore sunglasses while he sat for testimony. Which, if you look up a picture of him, he does look ridiculous looking like that, I will say. Um, the sunglasses is a bit overkill. Does he have black eyes, or...? No, I think it was believed because of the concussion he had light sensitivity, mm. um, and that's most likely why he wore them. Oh, but... is that her? What is it? I, think I, I found think... a... I think that must be a rendering, because they said her... Let me see. I don't think she can see the concussion. Oh, yeah. Um, so there was a uh, model of her head made to show all the cuts okay. Oh, okay. for the case. Oh, for the trial. Oh, yeah, you could tell in that one. Yeah. Anybody, I didn't um, I don't actually see her real face. Oh, you can. That's good to know. You can just tell me. No, I know. That's good to know because I have like a slideshow for one of my cases. What is very graphic, and if you're not interested in seeing, I it, um, I have a slideshow too that shows like the crime scene photos. Yeah. So I so didn't. Some of the crime scene photos are cool. I don't. I don't want to see your face. That's fine. Um, Bill Corrigan was Sam's attorney and had told Sam to stick what he already told the detectives on July 4th and from the beginning that he was not unfaithful towards Maryland. 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 Corrigan was forced to watch the proceedings of the inquest from the stands. When he attempted to help his client, he was ejected from the room by Dr. Gerber. Why? Gerber was, yeah. All right, Gerber. Sam was questioned for five and a half hours about his actions of the night of the murder, his married life, and his love affair with a Bayview Hospital employee named Susan Hayes. Gerber is being a real goober. <laughs> Why does Gerber, Gerber, Jesus, almost a goober. Why did he have the power to eject somebody from the room? He's the coroner. It's the coroner's inquest. Yeah. Oh, oh. He's oh, like the judge. Forgot what exactly they were at. Sam, during this time, came off unnaturally detached and cold. But he followed his lawyer's advice and denied all sexual allegations. Uh, 
At the end of the inquest, Gerber exceeded his authority while delivering his verdict, calling Marilyn, Marilyn, Marilyn. Shepard's death a homicide committed by her husband. Side note, just to give you the proper definition of a coroner's inquest. It's an inquiry into the circumstances surrounding a death. The purpose is to find out who the deceased person was how and how, when, and where they died, and to provide the details needed to their death to be registered. It is not a trial. It is not for the coroner to decide or appear to decide any question of criminal or civil liability or to establish uh, guilt. Yeah. I thought it was weird when you said determined she was killed by her husband. Yeah. That didn't seem like it should be the outcome of a no. quest. It's I thought. I think it's just like, um, if... Because the only time I've ever come across a coroner's inquest is when um, the initial autopsy, they put drowning. And then someone and was like... caught into question. Like, Yeah, someone was like, how do you... I don't think she was drowned. There's, like, marks on her throat. She, I think it was strangulation. And they do an inquest. And then they ask for an inquest, and then the coroner has to agree to do an inquest. Because sometimes they're like, no, that stands. Yeah. But then if they have a coroner's inquest, then I think that it's kind of, it's not a trial, but I think it's kind of like run kind of like a trial yeah. where like they bring all the evidence that they have regarding the death and the coroner kind of re looks over all the evidence mm -hmm. and then determines whether or not the initial cause of death and all the other information that goes on yeah. the death certificate stands or if they need to change it. I, it's not to determine if Sam's no. guilty. It sounds like Sam Gerber thought he had a lot more power. It or sounds... like he had more importance than he really did. Yeah, he definitely, like, and in the book it really, like, goes into, he, James, it... James Nip does a really good job of, like, describing each person and giving their background. Mm -hmm. And Gerber definitely thought very highly of himself. It sounds also that he had, like, all, like, had a bone to pick. Is that how you say it? Mm -hmm. Bone to pick with Sam, and he thought that this was his opportunity to kind of ruin his life. Yeah. Um. He also probably. I mean, do do we know why he's he's so angry at Sam? So there's a couple of reasons. Because like, so I'm sorry, but in my head, if Sam had an affair with like Gerber's wife, he kind of would already have this mindset that Sam is a cheating bastard but that, makes sense. that would be like what he like has in his head and so he's more inclined to believe that sam would do this it's more um say gerber doesn't like them uh for the profession so doctor but the specific type of doctor osteopath was a different kind it was very hard to find like the difference between that and like a real md or an MD, not saying that they're not real, but at the time there was a division between an osteopath and an MD, and I MDs didn't think that they were like. It's not like Sam Gerber was just kind of a snob. Yeah, yeah. It was like he you also, were not good to call yourself doctor. I think so that the family, the Shepherd family, also liked to publicize like all the good that they did in their hospital mm -hmm. and um, like emergency cases and everything, and Gerber didn't like that type of publicity publicity thank you because it was very strange for the time for like doctors to be like attention grabbing i yeah. think that like an md is more like antibiotics medicine 
NSAIDs, stuff like that. And an osteopath is more, will still do antibiotics, but then also be like, you could also try these vitamins or yeah, something more holistic. Is. Yeah. And they're like, it, it's kind of like how they'd be like, that's some hippie shit. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like, I think MDs are more like, don't do, don't, like, now, if yeah. they were in this climate, they'd be like, no, marijuana is a drug. End of discussion. And an osteopath would be like, it helps with pain. Mm-hmm. I don't know that for sure. So any MDs don't come for me. <laughs> but so yeah, Gerber was an MD. Shepard was an osteopath and he thought he was better. The entire family of the Shepherds were osteopaths and they all, they all were doctors and worked together at Bayview Hospital and Gerber had a problem with all of them. I also think that, so an MD goes to medical school, which is really difficult to get into. And I feel like an osteopath goes to, it's not MD, it's like D, oh goodness. Um, DM, like Doctor of Medicine or something? Yeah, it's not that. MD versus, oh, a DO. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly that. Okay, so I do know this. So MDs go to medical school, mm-hmm. and that is very hard to get into. Um, another route to get your doctor, your DR in front of your name, is to go to get your your DO, which is osteopathic medical school. It's easier to get into. Granted, it is still hard because mm-hmm. it is a medical school. Um, but instead of so when you see like Dr. Sam Gerber, MD, versus Dr. Sam Shepard, DO. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's weighted differently. Yeah, it's just like the different school you went to. So I could see, so you know how, so two different lawyers, Mm -hmm. both lawyers, both good, but one went to Harvard Law, the other one went to, I don't know. Generic Harvard. Prince store brand. I don't know. Something that's not an Ivy League. The Ivy League lawyer thinks that he's better because he went to Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. Like that. Anyway. So, so he, basically that's why snippety he about had that. a problem with the Shepherds. Just because he thought he was better than them. Yeah. What a little ding dong. Um, Thanks for clearing that up for us. So after... I learned today. I don't actually know if you're being sarcastic or not. I did learn today. Okay. It's almost turned sarcastic. I know, but I'm going to be offended if she's being sarcastic about this because it's something that I actually know about. So after the coroner's inquest... You taught me. That was sarcasm. You're going to get punched in the nose. On July 30th, the Cleveland Press ran, in all caps again, on their front page... Cleveland Press needs to settle down. Yeah. Why isn't Sam Shepard in jail? Quit Turn stalling. Off. Bring him in. Turn off your caps locks. <laughs> no, it's old papers. Yeah, but they're yelling. I know. It's too aggressive. Ten they more. act like media is only biased today. In the 50s, they're like, oh, they're, they're terrible. Around 10 p.m. that night, Sam Shepard was arrested for first degree murder. Over the next two days, in teams of two detectives, would, they would grill Shepard for 22 hours, but he would stick to his story and never offered a confession. I'd confess after 22 hours. That is where we're going to leave. You one. would confess after 10 minutes. 
Yeah. You would confess before you even sat down in the interrogation room. A lot of pressure. You'd be like, you know what? I did it. I'm sorry. It was me. I don't know what I did, but I did it. I'm so sorry. Please don't yell at me. Yeah. So we're ending part one here? We're going to end part one there because the next part we're going to get into the trial. Nice. Which is going to be a nice big chunk and a lot of bullshit as well. I love it. Well, so I'm, um, I'm interested. I feel like we shouldn't end this episode the same way because we're not quite done. All right, so um, part two is two gonna break. come off come out Friday. Yep. So um, tune in to find out what the trial, yeah. the trial, the aftermath. Will we find out who did it? Unfortunately, I'm not at liberty to say right now. Oh, so they have to tune in. Oh, I'm excited. Alrighty. Tune in for part two for more sinisternism and more sarcasm. That's all it's again. Thank you. I don't know. Say some bullshit. If you thought that was sinister and sarcastic, tune in for part two. Beautiful. Tune in for part two. Follow our Instagram at sinister underscore and underscore sarcastic for show updates. And we also post each episode with some photos. We are always looking for new, interesting show ideas. So if you have any folklore, true crime, or mysterious cases for us to cover, please feel free to DM DM us on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. If you're enjoying the show and want to purchase some merch to show your support, you can find a link on our Instagram. We hope you keep listening.